Hi, this is Randy Wimmer, and welcome back to the Entrepreneur Sound Off. I apologize up front for my my scratchy voice and I'm stopped up nose. I'm getting over a cold, but uh, we're pressing on. Today's one of my favorite topics. It deals with the four perspectives that every proposal must address. A successful proposal requires the intersections of four perspectives. The first perspective is the company, and that's where most people focus. This is your company's abilities, qualifications, and proposed solution for the uh, for the RP. The second perspective is customer. You know, now we're talking about the customer's needs and interest. Most, but not all of these are provided in the RFP. The third perspective is the external perspective, and that addresses external requirements that both parties, both you and the customer, must comply with. That's the landscape of which you must operate. And then finally, the fourth perspective is competition. This is your competitor's viewpoint, and understanding that can help you stand out amongst your peers. When addressing each major RP requirement, all four perspectives must be addressed to be successful. Trust me, it's extremely difficult to write a proposal that does this for every major requirement. That's why you must build a proposal. To help me build a better proposal, I use a template that forces me to address each perspective for every major requirement in my detailed RFP shred. After I populate my template for each of the major requirements, I slam the text into a proposal document and I sprinkle a few introductory sentences and prepositional phrases in it as glue to hold the chunks together. It's not pretty, but it makes a content-rich first draft. Most importantly, I have turned all subsequent editing activities into fitting the content into page constraints and making it more readable. You want to be wordsmithing as you edit and not creating content. Now, my my high school English teacher would like to have a heart attack if she read this first draft, but as I've repeatedly stated, proposals are scored and not read. Moreover, the inclusion of all four perspectives is infinitely more important than flowing prose. Developing a template that forces you to include each perspective instills a level of discipline that simply cannot be achieved by starting on page one of a proposal and writing to the last page of the page count. Again, proposals must be built. Now, when I say template, most folks automatically think of a form or formatted document. In fact, you know, I did the same thing. I originally... I originally created a complicated form with various fields and tables. Then I realized it was a major pain in the butt to, to, to copy and paste all these different sections out of these forms um, and, and in order to, to make the, the actual proposal. So my template either evolved or degenerated, depending on how you want to look at it, into a simple MS Word document with various section titles. The first um, title was um, Administrative. Then it was understanding, then solution slash approach, proof points, benefits, source material, and competitive discriminators. Let me read those to you again, because these are some important important headers here. Administrative, understanding, solution and approach, 
proof points, benefits, source material, and competitive discriminators. The administrative section is simply information from, um, from my detailed shred outline. This portion of the template includes stuff like the section number, the section title, who the author is going to be in the uh, uh, allocated um, page units. Now, I use the word page units because a page unit is equal to a page percent. We ultimately had to go to this nomenclature um, because we would screw this up nearly every single bit. Somebody would say, well, I thought you meant 50% of the section. I thought I had I thought I had 50% of the section, so I wrote four pages. Now you're telling me I only got 50% of a page? How can I cram all that stuff in there now? So um, I, I guarantee it, it will happen. You, you got to address it. You got to have an established lexicon that you use. And we literally had to go to this to this unit. It was a page unit, page percent. And if, the sooner you go to it, the, the sooner you're going to start. Um, you know, the sooner you're going to stop the hemorrhaging, uh, because I'm, I'm telling you, it's it's guaranteed to happen. In fact, I'll go one step further. Version control will ultimately be one of your most difficult challenges writing larger proposals. Whenever you have more than one person writing a proposal, you're going to have version management issues. It's just it's just the nature of the beast. It really is. Now, if you throw in, uh, let's say you have, you know, maybe yourself, a proposal writer, maybe two or three people in your company writing sections, and then you have um, two corporate partners and they each have their own technical writers contributing, and then you start the editing process where, you know, we're all editing each other's work. Wow, there's a <laughs> there's a lot of versions flying around. You know, Randy has his, Bob has his, Sally has hers. You know, Tammy has hers, and it just becomes a mess. So, version management is one of those things that you you have to address very early on in the process, and we'll discuss that in another topic um, because there are ways to do that, but you got to be disciplined and. But the, the faster and the quicker that you come to that realization, it's going to make your life so much better. It really will. So let's press on. Um, following the administrative section, uh, you have the understanding section. Now, the understanding section demonstrates to the customer your understanding of all stated and implied requirements. And more importantly, the reasons behind these requirements. Now, let me, let me restate that again. The understanding section demonstrates to the customer your understanding of all stated and implied requirements and, more importantly, the reasons behind these requirements. Implied is a very, very, very important word here. Um, so, uh, fully understanding a requirement is essential to addressing it, and the stated requirement is rarely the entire requirement. In this section, this is where you relate to your customer. If your customer thinks that you, quote unquote, get it, then you pass the first hurdle in winning a contract. If you're an incumbent contractor currently supporting the customer, then you should inject your precious insights into what's really keeping your customer up at night. This is why incumbents have such a major advantage. They understand the requirements and can relate to their customers at a much deeper level than outside bidders. Conversely, immature bidders 
frequently and completely neglect this aspect of a proposal. The solution and approach section is the meat of the information you are providing to your customer. This is a detailed description regarding how you are going to address the customer's requirement. Simply repeating a requirement back in a statement form is not providing a solution. However, shockingly, this is more challenging than it sounds. For example, simple company will monitor all servers for errors is not a solution. It's just an acknowledgement of a requirement without providing any information regarding who, what, when, where, and how the servers will be monitored. The customer wants a solution that details what you are going to do and how you are going to do it. Training, management oversight, communication, and other management activities should also be included as part of your solution. The proof point section provides the source selection board with the confidence that you can perform your solution as promised. Despite being half of your evaluated non-price, uh, non-price proposal grade, confidence level is frequently ignored. Proof points can come from your company's performance on similar contracts, highly qualified staff with their own personal accomplishments, professional certifications, endorsements, positive customer comments, and so on. Usually, the bidder defines what proof is, so the standard is where you set it. Again, let me reiterate that. You get to define what your proof points are. If you're lacking in past performances, then provide proof that deal with your key personnel credentials and qualifications. Uh, If you have somewhat similar past performances, um, but they're in a different agency or organization or something like that, then you might want to summarize that and provide as proof points, you know, your exceptional, your exceptional, you know, service level agreements, you know, adherence. Uh, whatever it takes, you get to define that. In the benefits section, connect the dots and tell the customer the benefits that your solution provides them. Proposals are very similar to resumes. Poor resumes provide a proper chronology of professional experiences and force the hiring manager to not only remember to ask the most important question, but to answer it for you as well. Why do I care? To get the job or win the proposal, you must tell the hiring manager or the source selection board what benefits your skills and experiences or solutions provide their organization. You have to connect the dots for them. For example, let's just say you've been uh, an accountant for a top four, five, six, seven, you know, what, how, however many of the top number of accounting firms are. Are they used to be the big five or the big four? Uh, but But now I think that's kind of disintegrated. But but let's just say you've got tremendous, you know, work experience at Accenture, KPMG, Price Waterhouse, Deloitte. You've worked at the big boys, and uh, you just can't say that. You know, if you just say, "Hey, I've got, you know, I've got experience at, at these four, you know, branded or five branded um, industry leaders," that's not enough. Because you're forcing them to answer the, why do I care? Well, 
these industry leaders are truly industry leaders and they're doing things a little bit better than everybody else and you know how to do that. You have so much experience at the highest levels that you can turn a um, a negative into a positive. You can turn a cost into a positive revenue stream. You know, you can identify um, non-conformance in a fraction of the time as your lesser experienced people overcome that non-conformance and be able to move forward and start taking corrective actions immediately. You know, you can save them money. You can get things done faster. You just got to connect the dots for them. Just saying that you have a, you know, that you worked at these companies, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't really tell the full story of what you can bring to bear, uh, the value, the benefits that you can bring to a company. The next section um, is the source material section, and that can really help you stand apart from your competitors. You can project your company as a source of expertise to your customer without a single shred of corporate experience. Relating your understanding of the customer's requirement to an overarching organizational vision, goal, philosophy, doctrine, policy, instruction, or manual is vitally important. This will almost always set you apart from your peers regarding your level of understanding and establish your credibility. It will also help you propose a compliance solution that is fully aligned with the organization's perspective. In this particular case, a little research can take you a very long way. Now, the source material section is where small businesses with limited past performances should be focusing. This is an area with effort you can really stand out. Now, you can't, you're not always going to be able to stand out with your past performances as either proof points or to give you credibility. But with effort, you can always stand out in the source material section. If you are citing, um, all this overarching documentation that the customer must comply with and you're demonstrating that you get the big picture and you've got all this insight. Next thing you know, you are looking like a highly credible um, candidate to win this, to, to win this contract. So that's an area that I always focused on. I was always sure to include a ton of source material. Uh, regarding the bigger picture when I was lacking, you know, past performances. The discriminator section, you can further differentiate yourself from your peers by highlighting your attributes while indirectly spotlighting your competitors' weaknesses. Most bidders forget that writing a proposal is a competition. It's a contact sport. You are competing against every other bidder for contract award. With the exception of the incumbent, the source selection board will be inclined to see, quote-unquote, just another small business. Let's face it. Many people automatically believe that all small businesses are alike, and you have to prove them wrong. So what you have to do to separate yourself from the rest of the field um, is to be able to list credentials like ISO 9001 certification, a mentor-protege program, or even a specific corporate leader's unique qualifications. 
If you're struggling in this area, then highlight a component of your proposal and simply say that you're unique. Borrow a trick from the marketing community. No MSG. If you see no MSG on a label, what you're doing is that you're implying that other brands are using MSG. Otherwise, they would be boldly, you know, claiming that they don't have MSG. Now, that's a, you know, that's a, um, I, w- I wouldn't bank my entire business success on that little trick. But if you got nothing else, you got to, <laughs> you got to do something. And I'll, and I'll tell you where I use this and how I use this. Let's just say I was trying to enter a new market space and I was competing against a very well entrenched small business. Uh, what I would say is, is that because of our limited presence in that organization, we had zero, zero potential for conflicts of interest that they were going to get 100% our unbiased um, opinion and best effort without us being unduly influenced by our other contracts and the ability and, and, you know, willingness to have those renewed. So they were going to get, they were going to get 100% honesty from us because we weren't going to be influenced by the other contracts that we had in that organization. We had zero, zero potential for conflicts of interest. Now, what did that just state? (laughs) That just, that just stated that, you know, the, the, that the incumbent, whoa, you know, maybe they're not giving us their best effort or maybe they're not giving us the, the, the ground truth here because they think it may impact their other contracts. So uh, I know that's a little skimpy. Uh, maybe it's a little underhanded, but again, business is a contact sport. If you're competing, um, uh, <coughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, so if you're competing against um, incumbents that, you know, are, are doing well, but they're in organizations that have some bona fide issues with them. You've got to let the customer know that. And it's a, it's a balancing act. It really is. Um, during my very first prime contract, this was my breakthrough prime contract with the Defense Logistics Agency. Um, I reminded the customer that our analytic approach would help remove the DOD supply chain management um, enterprise from the GAO's list of high-risk enterprises. By doing this, I wanted them to question their, their incumbent contractor's performance and to consider a different approach moving forward. Now, you know, just how great is your, is your incumbent contractor doing if you're on the, the GAO's list of high-risk enterprises? Well, one may question that they're not doing a very good job at all. So again, this is where you gotta be a little careful. You don't want to take a sharp stick and jab it in your customer's eye. What you have to do is uh, you have to let them know that, you know, their organization has issues that you can help them overcome and let them. Now, this is where you do want them to connect the dots because it's hard for them to connect. The, you know, you don't want to be the ones connecting the dots in this one because it makes your company look bad. You want them to connect the dots uh, when you're critiquing uh, or what's commonly called ghosting your competitors. And, um, because you look petty and you look like, um, you know, you look pretty unprofessional if you're doing it. So what I would do instead is I would state things like if you're ISO 9001 certified and 
uh, you know that the incumbent isn't, I would say, hey, say, you know, we could not in good conscience bid on this effort unless we were ISO 9001 quality management system certified because quality management is absolutely essential to the pointing end of the spear. You know, any nonconformance, any screw up with quality really could have had unaccepted, uh, you know, unacceptable consequences. So for a small business to have bid on a contract without having that robust corporate infrastructure, you know, wrapped around their quality management system, you know, it would have been reckless and irresponsible for them to bid. Now, let them connect the dots and say like, whoa, our incumbent's not ISO 9001 certified. Hey, you know, how much of this stuff is slipping by and causing us to be on that high-risk enterprise uh, hit list here? So, um, now, incorporating these four perspectives is vital to every aspect of your non-price proposal or your technical proposal. These four perspectives are as equally effective in rewording your candidate key personnel resumes and your past performance write-ups. The key is to build these sections by using a structured process. Again, what I mean by that is, is you can take the same strategy and apply it to your key personnel's resume. You can take these four perspectives and, you know, and incorporate, you know, the, the tenets of, of those to improve key personnel resumes and your past performance write-ups. Now, um, that, that's it for today. I, I just wanted to, to kind of highlight the overarching strategy. And that is, is, um, you have to have an approach to build a proposal. You just can't write one. You just can't start on page one and keep writing until you're at the end of the page count. That will never, ever win. What you have to do is you've got to create a template. It can be a simple template. And in fact, you know, through the, the evolution of, of my usage of a template approach, the simpler the template, uh, the better off you are. But you have to hit these four perspectives. If you don't hit the four perspectives, then what you're doing is you are depending upon the slowest running GS13s in the hallway, the members of the source selection board, people who've got a day job that they're doing, who've got responsibilities, who's asked to, uh, to, to read and evaluate your proposals on top of that. And there could be a dozen proposals and they got to score them and they've got to follow a process that's lengthy and, and honestly boring as hell. You don't want to force them. You don't want to rely upon them to connect the dots for you and your bid effort. You got to connect it for them. And the way you do that is by addressing these four perspectives. Okay. So. I will talk to you soon, and I hope this is helpful.